Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. S&P 500 here at 4280. That is a correction territory, kids. And that's what a lot of investors have been kind of expecting for a while here. And a lot of folks are even saying it's a healthy part of a longer term bull market. Let's check in with a professional and get a professional opinion. Katie Nixon, CIO Wealth Management for Northern Trust. So, Katie, hey, thanks so much for being with us. We really appreciate the time. We are in a correction on the S&P. What do you make of it? Yes, good morning. And yes, it's time for investors to buckle up. But I do think, to your earlier point, this is to be expected. 5% corrections, 10% corrections are normal parts of market cycles. And the fact that this correction is taking place during a period of relatively strong economic growth, low unemployment, the backdrop is healthy. So our view is that it will be sort of a short-term correction, but something that investors are going to perhaps have to, have to live with for the next several weeks or even months. I guess the, you know, the economic picture looks good, especially um, the historical economic outlook. And low unemployment is great. Uh, but inflation doesn't look so good. What do you think about 7%? How do you expect this year to play out? Yeah, so, I mean, that that is the big question, and I think that's been um, the biggest issue for investors insofar as the, the outlook for inflation influences your outlook for what the Fed's going to do. Our outlook for inflation is, yes, it's very high. It's been higher for longer than we thought it would be. Um, the various cycles of the COVID pandemic have certainly not helped, and we see continued strains on supply chains and things like that. So inflation has been higher for longer. But we do see it coming off the boil as we as we enter the, the second half of 2022. And it's a combination of some very obvious things, like just the base effects as we get past the very high levels of inflation that we saw in 2021. And then and energy prices coming back down as we head towards the summer and into the fall. So we think inflation will trend down. It will still stay, stay elevated above the 2% target, but it certainly won't be printing 7% like we've seen recently. And because of that, and the, the important thing for investors is because of that, we don't have a, an aggressive Fed call here either. We think the market's probably a little bit ahead of itself, anticipating four rate hikes. Or even I, I read this morning, some are anticipating a 50 basis point hike in, in March, and we think that's uh, a bridge too far. So, Katie, you know, I'm looking at some of the big movers today. You know, Netflix off 10 percent, uh, Tesla off 7, 8 percent. How do you think about the sectors that you want to have exposure to in 2022 in what is, in fact, a rising interest rate environment? So that is a great question, and I think it's a, a very important question for investors to answer. Because what we've seen sort of coming out of the pandemic is uh, a preference for these high growth stocks, right? You wanted to be involved in the reopening trade and Netflix and Peloton and these these stocks with sort of very obvious uh, uh, stories, um, COVID-related stories, and, and, and also very strong results uh, backing up uh, investors' enthusiasm. What has been under-owned, though, really historically, but even post-COVID, is value. Um, so what we're telling our clients is you really want to strike that balance and, and look at your portfolio, see where you're underinvested. And most of the time, that's value. And value can mean U.S. value stocks, but it can also mean non-U.S. stocks. European stocks tend to skew towards the value end of, of the spectrum. Um, so we are telling our clients, go global and diversify. 
and really strike the balance between growth and value because you're probably under under invested in value. What about U.S. stocks? I mean, I'm watching Mm -hmm. a live ticker of the S&P now down 2.7 percent. We've we've started the year so poorly. Is this a buying opportunity or do you want to wait it out since it took so long? I mean, since it didn't take so long, since it was so fast. Right. It happened pretty fast. I mean, it seems like the blink of an eye that we were back. We were at the highs in early January. So, yes, it happened quite quickly. And, you know, that that. That, that tends to be in a historical pattern. You know, the, the market takes the escalator up and the elevator down, as they say, and we certainly have seen that. I would really encourage investors not to try to time the market here. Um, it, it, it's so interesting. Investors always say that they want to buy the dips, but then when you have a dip like we're seeing, we've seen the last couple of weeks, and especially today, investors are afraid to get in. So uh, you have to fight your emotions, stay with your strategic plan, make sure that your investments are aligned with your financial goals. And that may mean buying in a dip. It could mean selling into a dip. Um, It all really depends on what your specific and unique goals are. And focus on that because you're not going to be able to predict the market moves and you're not going to be able to to control the market moves. Um, So better to just focus on what you know, which is what do you need your assets to do for you and how can you position them for the best best long-term success? Katie, how do you think about global energy here? Are you a buyer? We've got oil. It's off a little bit today, uh, as everything mm-hmm. is, but generally oil's been had a nice run up here. We do like it. And, you know, we love natural resources as, as sort of a one-two uh, tailwind for portfolios. Number one, you get that equity beta. And as I said earlier, we're positive on equities. Um, we're constructive on U.S. equities in particular. So with that as a, as a backdrop, we like energy stocks. And the second thing is, as I mentioned before, inflation are – we anticipate coming off the boil in the second half of 2022, but the risk is that we're wrong. And if we are in a much more persistent inflationary environment, you do tend to get good inflation protection out of natural resource equities. So we like those as part of a diversified portfolio. Katie Nixon, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate uh, getting your thoughts, getting your perspective. Katie Nixon, she's a CIO of Wealth Management at Northern Trust. Uh, Northern Trust, they're based in Chicago, and I tell you, they're one of the uh, good, long-term, deep money managers out there in the Midwest. When you go out to Chicago, you have to get a meeting. Well, she runs with Northern I think Trust, like two hundred thirty billion dollars. I know. So good to get. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Her take on this market for sure, um, especially as we bounce a little bit back higher. Right now, we're um, down two point three percent, a little less. So um, we have had a rough morning today, but it is still uh, deeply, deeply in the red. Now I want to get to Wakas Al-Sadiq. He is the CEO and founder of Biotricity, and they um, are trying to improve healthcare by developing basically digital solutions, aiding in chronic disease prevention and management. Wakas, you know, I was thinking about your company, and you can... uh, tell us more about it, I guess, in your answer. But it, it dawned on me, um, I've always had this kind of negative view of the metaverse or a future living in virtual reality um, from movies like Wally and uh, and uh, what's that one with Bruce Willis where he um, uh, plays a cop in the metaverse? Yeah. In any case, I always have thought it would be um, unhealthy. But now that I'm thinking about your country, your company, I, it seems like it could be healthier living in the metaverse. What do you think? 
No, it's a it's an excellent point. Um, I I always thought about that myself uh, in terms of you know getting so connected and being completely integrated, and then how do we how do we take care of ourselves if we're you know sipping smoothies and and doing all of that? And uh, you know I think that as we've seen through the pandemic, uh, people have gotten a lot more engaged. I mean the direction was already there. We were getting into more connected healthcare. But there was an unwillingness from individuals to engage, read instructions, and figure that out. And that got all accelerated. So I really think that as long as we as, a, as uh, you know, uh, individuals, as companies continue to innovate on this idea of digital tracking, home-based labs, but make sure that it's clinically relevant, like it's actually not lifestyle, but really uh, rooted and based on, on good science, then we can actually get that insight. And I think that the consumption of care for for basic episodic visits for general care is going to happen more and more in the home where individuals are engaged and then they're going to go in for treatment um, uh, in, into the into the providers or into the hospital by the way so first of all the Bruce Willis movie I was thinking of was surrogates but in this and Wally ah, right. you know um, we didn't do anything people in those movies and those fictional uh you know future forecasts did nothing and you're right during the pandemic people did a lot more paul for example got a peloton bike and was riding sure. every day um a lot of people were do trying to figure out ways to do exercise and ended up doing even more in lockdown than they would have before but what um kind of solutions are you able to provide now wakas in terms of for example health monitoring solutions what what can biotricity give us uh, great question. So, you know, we started out, we had the diagnostic product, which was really available for high-risk patients. And so, uh, and, and when I talk about high-risk patients, I'm talking about patients that can have a heart attack or a stroke, uh, and you don't want them basically sitting at home uh, waiting for the data to be collected and then returned back and downloaded because you're worried about something's going to happen. So that was our first product, and it's a smart device. And so when you put it on to a patient and you send them home, uh, it'll it'll look for the data, and it, when it detects an emergency or an anomaly, it actually alerts uh, your doctor and gets you back into the hospital. So what, it's a, uh, like a bracelet or a wearable that um, detects, like it does an ECG and detects your pulse? And... Correct. It's a small little it's a device of, of, a, of a mouse, and, and it hangs around your neck and, 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 and uh, makes contact with your skin. And that device uh, saves lives every day. And then we've taken that technology and we've simplified it in uh, two products, one which was just FDA cleared last week, uh, which is uh, a, a patch that gets connected and collects your ECG uh, and, and accelerates and, uh, your, your um, diagnostic response time. So it's a Holter product, but it's uh, slightly highly condensed. And then we have a consumer product, which is collecting your, your ECG long-term for weeks, months, years, as long as you're wearing it. And this is really good for bikes, uh, bikers. This is really good for individuals who had an issue, but they're fine now, but they want to track themselves. Uh, really a lifestyle play. So is this, you know, I guess the digitization, if you will, of healthcare, is that going to drive costs down? It does in every other industry. Good point. No, excellent question. So I would say... You know, 70 cents of every dollar in the United States is spent on chronic conditions. And so we've been seeing a huge movement in telemedicine, right? But telemedicine is episodic care. It's 30 cents on the dollar. So the real issue is exactly what you're talking about, right? The people who are 
sitting at home. They're not exercising. They're not engaging. They have to go in and out of the doctor's hospital all the time. People with cardiac issues, people who we're servicing at, at Biotricity and we're focused on. And the reason is most of these individuals don't actually have technology available to them to get insight. So they get really on it. The doctor says, You're, you know, this is going to be a problem. You really have to do this. And for a week or two weeks, they self-manage. But because they have no data, they have no device, they have no technology to tell them that they're, it's actually doing something, they drop off the wagon. And that's uh, what we're doing. And, and, and to your point, I think that's really going to drive cost downs, but we need to continue this trend. So is, is this the, again, kind of some of the, the telemedicine, is that just a function of the pandemic or is this a big trend that's going to continue? So I think telemedicine is going to get bifurcated. So... Uh, part of it is going to stay. So, you know, the people who have a flu, it's convenient and whatnot. But I think there'll be a drop there. And then there's going to be telemedicine for chronic patients. The problem with chronic patients is, you know, you need blood work. You need diagnostics. You need an actual test. I mean, right. you cannot tell a, a, a cardiac patient, I, you know, are you actually having arrhythmia or not, mm. if you're feeling palpitations without running some sort of test. And that's where companies like us, have to continue to innovate right. and provide those technologies so that you can get that data integrated with telemedicine and provide care. And that's that 70 cents I'm talking yep. about. All right. That's what's going to move the needle. All right, Wakas, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Wakas Al-Sadiq, CEO and founder of Biotricity. Talk about the future of medicine. You know, one of the key topics that Matt and I like to stay on top of is the global supply chain uh, challenges out there, uh, and they are, in fact, global, and they impact all of us, really, in so many different ways, from going to the supermarket to going to the car dealer, uh, lots of uh, ways to experience the, the challenges facing the global supply chain, uh, and we have a great voice to help us get a, a sense of what's going on out there, and that is Gene Shiroka, uh, Executive Director of the Port of Los Angeles, and again, on my Bloomberg screen, one of my many Bloomberg screens in front of me, I have MapGo, and I'm looking at the uh, uh, you know, all the ships that are at sea and kind of where they're kind of anchored. And uh, certainly the Port of Los Angeles is um, the busiest container port in North America. So this is a great opportunity. Gene, I, thanks so much for joining us. I know you're super busy, you and all your folks there at, at the port here. Uh, since the last time we spoke to you, I would say probably, you know, three or four weeks ago, give us a sense of kind of where we are as a nation in terms of uh, our supply chain logistics. Well, good morning, Paul and Matt, and thanks for having me back on. Since we last spoke when I visited New York in December, we have seen some improvement. Overall, imports on the docks in Los Angeles have been cut by half, meaning they're moving out to the marketplace here domestically. And those aging containers that we had targeted during the fourth quarter to move those out of the way are down by nearly two-thirds. We're still struggling a little bit with the amount of time containers sit at the terminal on the street waiting for warehouse space and then coming back to the port. That's been a difficult time. But with all these imports we've pushed out, now we're starting to see those empty containers return. So our focus has got to be loading up as many of these as possible for U.S. exporters and pushing out the rest of the empties for the next round of import from Asia. We've got about 103 ships on the way departing Asia and headed towards the ports here in Southern California, but only about a third of those are 10,000 container units and larger, the traditional vessels that we have calling at the port. The balance 
are those newcomers, the charter hires, and the one-way ships trying to augment for additional capacity here ahead of Lunar New Year. How long do you think it's going to be, Gene, until we get back to normal? What, what, and what would you consider that? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be some time. And normal has so many variables in that equation, from how merchandisers are putting in orders at factories, what factories can do through Omicron, keeping staff on deck to produce the goods that we want to buy, making sure we have enough vessel capacity in the right places, and utilizing that capacity. One of the areas we're focused on most right now, Paul, is the latent capacity available to us here at the Port of Los Angeles. 55% of all available truck gates go unused every day, and we have an overhang of about 30% in our railroad capacity. We've got to keep moving this cargo out, absorb more that's on the water, and take advantage of squeezing every hour of efficiency we can through the port complex. Gene, talk to us about labor. A lot of folks have suggested that, you know, there's just aren't enough folks to unload the containers and then there aren't enough truckers to, you know, get them out into uh, the interior of, of the country. How do you think about the, 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 the labor situation within your, you know, ecosystem there at the port? Yeah, everybody who wants work right now still has it as that caravan of cargo is coming across the Pacific at still high levels of volume. Three segments of labor, the dock workers, the International Longshore and Warehouse Union, they've been averaging six days a week on the job since the pandemic began back in March of 2020. They're going all out. Productivity per ship basis is the best in the industry. Second are those truckers that you mentioned. They have hours of service, can't drive more than 11 hours a day. And if they drive consecutively, they've got to take some time off. Nationwide, the American Trucking Association says that we're 80,000 drivers short, and I would represent here in Southern California, we could use another three to 4,000 port drayage drivers. Then there's the warehousing space. We've got 2 billion square feet under roof from the shores of the Pacific out to the desert region in Southern California, and we're about 8,000 workers short right now, 400,000 warehouse workers short nationwide. On these last two segments, they tend to be unrepresented, and we have to find a way to attract, recruit, and retain folks. Make these professions again. I know a great way to attract people to jobs. What's that? Pay them more? Pay them more! Is that, Absolutely. Is that not part of the equation, Gene? It has to be. It's thinking about how we pay labor wage and benefits, what you can do to attract folks into this industry, and not wait until it's crunch time like we've seen over the past 18 months. Industry has really got to focus on this, and some of the work that we're doing at the federal level with the C-suite and the private sector is leading us down that path, but we've got to work double time. All right. So, Gene, as you think about it, I mean, you've been in this game a long time. Is the just-in-time inventory strategy that we've all grown up with, is that being rethought, do you think? It has to be. We've all thought about lean, keeping inventory levels low. They are right now in the retail sector the lowest they've been in the decade since 2011. We've got to make sure that we have a good combination of where we can reshore manufacturing or nearshore it in addition to having some certainty placed back into the international supply chain. Simply buying products just in case so we weren't the company that was the paper example, mm-hmm. tissue and, and toilet paper last year, 
has seemed to really gum up the works. And folks are putting in orders at factories who are working at capacity now for the better part of a year and a half. So streamlining this, evaluating it at the yep. company level, but also as a nation. And that's part of what we're doing and working with Port Envoy John Picari, the National Economic Council led yep. by Brian Deese and others. Hey, Gene, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, we really appreciate getting your perspective. You are absolutely on the front lines of this uh, global supply chain issue with Gene Soroka, executive director at the Port of Los Angeles, the busiest container port in North America. You know, a lot of folks were saying, hey, we need a 10%, a 15%, a 20%. Uh, correction the market. Well, it looks like uh, we're here on you go. Our, there you go. This is what it looks like. The this chart looks ugly. Like. It is the worst one-day sell-off for the S&P 500 since October 28th of 2020, which feels like it was so long ago. And how does Matt Miller know that? Because the SINS function well, on the Bloomberg terminal <laughs> tells you. So yes. he has a little of a... I will say it's an internal function. Is it? So only we can see it. I did not know that. <laughs> Interesting. If you ever need a quote on SINS, I'm yeah, give man. us a call. Just, just message me. All right, let's check in with a professional on how we should be thinking about this. Jill Garvey, she's a senior VP and senior wealth strategist at Huntington National Bank. Jill, thanks so much for joining us. How do you how do you think about days like today, weeks like we've had over the last few weeks? How do you think about that? What are you telling your clients? Well, hello, Matt and Paul. It's great to be with you. We look at this as maybe the best buying opportunity over the last two years. So we're coaching our clients to be patient, get the buy list ready. Our equity team certainly has their buy list ready. And for those individuals who are sitting on a lot of cash, and as a top national bank, we're so fortunate to work with individual clients, many of whom are business owners. They've been liquidating all or portions of their business others who have been liquidating real estate, we see this as a tremendous opportunity to start working that cash in. What do you think we're going to see in terms of, uh, how is it going to work out in terms of inflation and the Fed? And how important is that to your individual investors? It's, it's very important to our individual investors. In fact, we expect Wednesday to be very wild and another volatile day. And it'll be very interesting to see the playbook that's coming. With respect to inflation, we've been investing in our client portfolios with a bias to small and mid caps and REITs. Of course, we like REITs for current income and the potential for price appreciation. And right now with this volatility, I think it's a good reminder and certainly we're imparting this to our clients that you don't want to be invested 100% in large cap growth. So we're taking a very nice barbell approach where we have growth, quality growth names, quality value names, and that's worked out very well for our clients. So Joe, what's your economic outlook for 2022? I think, you know, the economy by many measures is in a pretty solid shape, but there is that inflation concern out there and it's getting, I think, more and more real by the day for a lot of investors. What's your economic outlook? underpinning your investment outlook? It certainly is very real to everyone, and we expect that inflation will be dampened and there will be a decrease each quarter. We could end up with inflation in the 3% range later this year, and that's what we're imparting to our clients, and certainly we're watching that. But again, we see very strong 
individual consumer balance sheets, strong business balance sheets, and cash levels. So we think that will support continued spending and investment in 2022. So we think we would see, you know, S&P, the S&P 500 in uh, the high single digits and maybe even getting to the 10% range, certainly less than what we saw last year, but we are still very positive on stocks. Yeah, we've heard, uh, we've had a lot of people come and say CapEx is going to be strong. Um, What about buybacks? What about dividends? What about payouts? Well, right now we're seeing um, dividend stocks are doing very well. And, um, you know, we, we expect dividends and buybacks to continue. On the fixed income side, Jill, where are the opportunities here? And again, a rising uh, interest rate environment. What are you kind of telling your clients? Well, we see more risk in the fixed income market than the stock market right now as the rates rise. So again, we're looking, our our fixed income team is looking at opportunities to get in. Many of our clients do have fixed income. We do a lot of work with our clients up front on planning and what they need from clients like fixed income to dampen volatility. So right now we're really looking at what the taxable equivalent yield is. We aren't really um, getting into the muni markets, but um, we're looking at um, tips, of course, for inflation protection and some higher yielding fixed income investments. Because let's face it, this lower interest rate environment has been great for borrowers, but not great for savers. So we're looking to get as much yield as we can. And oftentimes we're looking at equities for that because the dividend yield can be higher than the fixed income yield. Do you have, I mean, are your high net worth individuals also interested in investing in things like commodities? And I I, I hesitate to ask these in the same uh, question, but crypto. Oh, I was going to go there, but you beat me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just, you know, I mean, you're in the middle of America. Um, Columbus, Ohio. I'm she's you're in Cincinnati, right? Is that I I hear Michigan Michigan. in your voice, but I I thought you were headquartered. I thought you were your office was in Cincinnati. Yes, of course. As a as a as a native Ohioan, I can spot a Michigander <laughs> from like t- 10 Just miles like we away. Can spot Ohio. <laughs> what we happened with Ohio. the Buckeyes? You know, we did so well against the Sparties, and then we lost to the Wolverines. I could not believe that this year. I, normally, we would talk a lot more about this, Jill, but we can't on a day when the S&P is selling off 3%. Bitcoin is a huge uh, drop. Uh, we, we saw um, it coming down below 34000 do you have high net worth individuals or, or your uh, big investors interested at all in crypto or are they just completely staying away from it? It's a mix. Certainly people are very curious about it. We still see it as speculative. So if our clients have excess cash and they can, they like the volatility and they can ride that out, then they're investing in crypto. Many of our clients are staying away from it, but certainly that is the talk of the town, and if if they have the excess liquidity, they're going in. Joe, real quick, thirty seconds. What's the number one number one question you get from your clients these days? <laughs> Where should I put my money? When should I be going into the market? And a lot of our clients are also concerned about protecting the wealth that they have, whether whether or not that's a business real estate, their marketable securities, portfolio. So we get that question a lot. How can I best protect my asset and make sure that my family receives my wealth in a way that allows me to disinherit very appropriately the IRS? 
So that's, that's a good question. <laughs> disinherit the IRS. A non-market question. Yeah, I like that. I like that term, disinherit the IRS. I'm all for it. Joe Garvey, Senior Vice President and Senior Wealth Strategist at Huntington National Bank from the great state of Ohio. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.